Well, I thought I'd get the first question out of the way right away. Why is he preaching? <laughs> Why not? Okay, well, that's one answer. Uh, another answer is because Steve Anderson wasn't available. <laughs> uh, don't you appreciate Steve Anderson? Uh, if you haven't already, I want to encourage you all to think of some way to uh, especially thank and honor him. Uh, he's been such a blessing to me personally as I've been somewhat involved in, in uh, all that's gone on with you all since Ben left. Uh, and that's the other reason why uh, maybe that I'm preaching today. Uh, I am pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Vermilion, not far from here. Uh, I came to Grace uh, about two months after Vince came here. And Vince and I became good friends and uh, met together monthly and encouraged one another and held each other accountable uh, until he abandoned me. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but... Uh, I've loved Crosspoint uh, since the day I arrived in South Dakota in 2006 and uh, very much appreciated uh, this church, very much appreciated its history, its present. Uh, and so uh, since that time, for the last, I don't know, I lose track of time, six or seven years, something like that, I've served as director of the Siouxland Association of Southern Baptists. That's our local association of Southern Baptist churches. And, and so uh, when Ben left, um, uh, your leaders contacted me and said that uh, they would like for me to come and, and pray and, and consult with them and help them. And, and as I prayed about uh, coming, and of course the answer was yes, that was an easy answer, but uh, what to do was, was not so easy because over the years I had, uh, my perception had been that, that uh, the, the mortgage on the building had just been this weight that had just weighed the church down to the place where, where there was still a lot of faithfulness, but it was a faithfulness that was weighed down. And, and I didn't believe that that's what Christ would want for his church. And so I thought, how can I encourage uh, this group of people, and especially this group of leaders, uh, lay leaders in, in the church? And I tell you what, through this time, uh, I've come to appreciate so much your leaders for Joel and Trey and, and the, the deacons and the, the search team. Uh, they've, they've, been, they've worked so hard for you all. They've prayed so hard for you all. They've sought the Lord. They've, they've listened to his voice. They've, uh, they've guided you, and they've done just a, a, an awesome job. Uh, and as I came to them that first meeting... Uh, you know, things began like you normally would, you know, begin talking about, well, what are the next steps that we take toward calling another pastor? And I, I just stopped it all for a second. I said, can, can I just throw something out there? And they said, yeah. And I said, uh, I want to encourage you to think about not how to survive, but how to thrive. Because I believe that's what God would God desires for his people. Jesus said, I've come that they ha might have life and have it abundantly. And my favorite psalm, Psalm 1611 says, uh, in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, that's what our God desires for us. That's what Jesus bought for us on the cross. And, uh, and I just wanted to see Crosspoint thrive in, in the abundant life of Christ and, and have the joy that comes in thriving in the abundant life in Christ. 
And so I'd also prayed about it, and I thought about some, some potential paths to get there. And so I presented about th- uh, three different options for, for how that could happen. And uh, your leaders went away, and they prayed for a month. They decided that's what they wanted to do. They just wanted to pray for a month. And they came back t- uh, together and called me to them and said that uh, we think that, the, that our first priority should be to pursue uh, a merger with a, 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 a church in the area. And uh, that surprised me. I, I expected that one of the other options would be preferable, but I saw that as, as the leadership of the Holy Spirit because they had prayed for a month, and, uh, and I received it as that and was excited about it. And, and so then I told them about a church that I thought might be a po- possibility for that, and, and uh, we went away from there, and I contacted uh, Connection Church. Um, Jonathan is a good friend of mine. I uh, have... Um, been one of his mentors as they planted the church here in Sioux Falls, and so I was very familiar with the, with the church. My son is uh, the worship leader at, at Connection. Uh, you'll you'll be seeing more of him, uh, and uh, and that's that's preferable to seeing more of me. Uh, but at any rate, um, so. We just began down that road, uh, trusting in the Lord for wisdom, trusting in the Lord to 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 lead, and I believe He's done that. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm here. There's another reason, though, that I'm here, and that's that I have been through this very same experience. Uh, In 1988, God called me into full-time ministry. I was an engineer at the time, uh, and uh, my wife and I quit our jobs, packed up, and moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where I began seminary. And that first year in Memphis, God just laid it on my heart to move to upstate New York, where the seminary had just begun a a branch campus uh, in Schenectady, New York. And I finished seminary up up there and planted a church in Albany, New York, while uh, I finished seminary. Uh, the church grew out of a, a college ministry that I started at State University of New York in Albany. Um, so it started with a bunch of my, my wife and I and a bunch of, actually, a bunch of young men, college students. My wife was the only woman in the church for a long time. And so she did all the meals. Uh, she, did, she did the nursery every week, uh, which was just my kids. <laughs> Because it was all just young men from the university. But the church grew from that and, and grew to a place where it was thriving. Uh, we had uh, close to 100 people. And it was all young people, young families. I was doing weddings right and left and babies were being born and everything looked wonderful. And then we went through a period of time where in a year's time, more than half the people in church moved away. And it was all but one core family in the church. And it took a devastating toll on our church. Uh, They had been uh, paying me full time. Uh, I got to the place where I had a paycheck bounce. And I realized, oh, I'm going to have to get a job. <laughs> and so I did, and uh, I became bivocational, and, and we prayed, and we trusted that God was going to replace all those people who had left. And in the wisdom and providence and plan of God, he didn't. Uh, we made great outreach efforts. We, we prayed for 800 families all around where we met, and we went and visited them, gave them a copy of the Jesus film, and invited them to come to our church, and went back and saw them again after they watched the Jesus film, and one person came as a result of that. And at that point, the people in our church just became uh, weary and discouraged. 
And it led down a path where a couple of years later, we closed the doors. And it was devastating to me. Because God had called me there to plant a church, and, and I figured it had to be, my, me as leader, it had to be my fault if the church had not made it. And so really for a couple of years, it was kind of a dark time for me where I was just seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, I don't want to do anything else until you show me what I did wrong so I won't do it again. And God was just mostly silent and helped me to just get to the place where it wasn't about me anymore. Because the truth is, God's kingdom and God's church are not about us. They're all about Jesus. They're all about the glory of God. We were created for His glory, we were redeemed for His glory, and we will live for all eternity for His glory. And that is the greatest privilege there could be for any living being anywhere, is to live for the glory of our incredible God. And so, I know what you're going through. (laughs) I know what you're feeling. I can sympathize, I can empathize, uh, and, but I'm farther ahead and have processed a lot of it uh, more than you all have had time to. And so I want to bring you a message from God's Word today that I believe will help you down that road of processing this. And really it comes down to this, that Crosspoint today, for Crosspoint today, marks an end and a beginning. And that's that's the truth that you need to hold on to because that's a truth from God. It's a gospel truth. It's a gospel principle. How each of you does moving forward will depend on how you interpret the end and how you interpret the beginning, especially according to what you value. Jesus often spoke of of gaining the kingdom of heaven as an exchange based on recognizing relative value. Remember the parable of the treasure hidden in a field? That wasn't somebody who was uh, destitute, who... uh, just became rich, that was, no, that was somebody who had something, he had a life for himself, but he stumbled on this treasure of surpassing value to what he had, and he realized, oh, this is of surpassing value, so what did he do? He went home and he sold everything he had. He gave up everything he already had so he could have that treasure of surpassing value. And then right after that follows the the parable of the pearl of great price, where this was a man who didn't stumble onto something of great value. He was looking for something of great value. He already had many things of great value, but he was looking for something of greater value, and he found it. So what did he do? He sold everything he had, gave it up so that he could have the thing of surpassing value. And then there was the rich young ruler. Remember him who came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus went through some of the Ten Commandments with him and and so said, Do these and you will live. And he said, These I've done since I was a child. And uh, Jesus said, Well, there's one thing you lack. He said, Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So he wasn't telling him... 
that, that money was a problem for him and he had to sacrifice that to prove that he was worthy. No, he was saying, you need to recognize that what you have is of no value compared to what God has for you. And it says that the rich young ruler went away very sad because he had great wealth. Now we scratch our head and say, why would anybody be sad if they had great wealth? Well, he was sad because he wasn't willing to give up great wealth for infinite wealth from God. He wanted to control his wealth rather than trusting Jesus for it. And so this is just a principle that's all throughout the Scripture, especially the New Testament, uh, that, uh, that we gain the kingdom of heaven, we gain what God has for us when we lose and let go of what we have been holding on to for life. So my prayer for you today and in the coming weeks and months is that you'll have the faith to see, experience, and pursue the joy and surpassing value of the life that God has set before you, the people of Cross Point Baptist Church, in the coming weeks and months and years. Cross Point is not dying. You are Cross Point, and you're moving forward. And there, yes, there's an end to something that has been, but it's not just an end, it's an exchange for what is ahead that God is giving you. And that's what I want you to see, and that's what I want you to understand, and that's the joy that I want you to experience going before you, and I believe it's the joy that God has set before you. Now see, this is a basic principle of the gospel, that the abundant life God has for us in Christ Jesus is gained through loss. Right? Fruitful, abundant life comes through transformation, not through improvement. So as we are introduced to Jesus Christ as unbelievers, it's not a matter that we go to him and we get some wisdom so we can improve the, uh, the amount that we need to. No, we have to be born again. We have to, to die to everything we were and, uh, and everything we had before Christ and lose it all so that we may gain him. And be found in Him. It's just a basic gospel principle. Uh, We humans don't need to be a little bit better. We don't even need to be a lot better. We need to be made new in Christ. Abundant life in Christ is new. It's not improved. This is a fundamental principle and characteristic of Christ-centered life. That we seek to be made new, not seek to be made just a little bit better. And so, I want to take us to a passage in John's Gospel where Jesus uh, is speaking. Uh, Here we're going to pick it up in John chapter 12, verse 20. This is right after Jesus' Uh, triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. So this is the beginning of the last week of his ministry here on earth before he was crucified. This was a time when, when Jesus was, was just zeroing in, focusing everything in because he only had a few days left to teach his disciples. Uh, his teaching became much more pointed and, and bold and focused with them. And in the midst of this, 
Here's what we see in in John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Those would have been non-Jews, probably uh, Gentile people who had been proselytized to become Jewish. Uh, They had come to the feast of the Passover to uh, worship God, but they weren't allowed to go any, any further into the temple than the outer court of the Gentiles. Even though they had been, become proselyte Jews, they still weren't allowed uh, any closer to God than the very outside uh, court of the temple. Uh, so these came to Philip, verse 21, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me... The Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Well, there's two things that I want us to see today about uh, this passage, this interchange, uh, this teaching from Jesus. The first is that uh, Jesus proclaimed the life through death principle of the gospel. He proclaimed it. He proclaimed it here. It's not the only time. It's not even the first time. But uh, it was something that Jesus uh, proclaimed clearly while he was here on earth. This life through death principle. that, That life with God, life in Christ is not a matter of just gaining something and adding to what we already have. It's a matter of dying to everything, giving up everything in order to be found in Christ. Uh, He uses an illustration from uh, farming or uh, maybe gardening is a a closer thing in the way we think about things because farming has become this huge corporate thing now with thousands and thousands of acres and and corporations of people who farm everything. Uh, Farming in those days would have been more like gardening is today. Uh, But he uses this principle because this was the time of the Passover which would have been planting season. And so he knows that most of them, many of them who've come to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover feast had just finished their planting and just been thinking about the hope that they have to have that when that seed goes in the ground that it will actually grow up and produce something that will uh, provide sustenance for them and their families. And so he capitalizes on uh, that fresh thinking for them and says, think about this. If a seed remains alone and doesn't die and be buried, it just remains alone. It doesn't become anything else. But if it dies and is buried in the ground, then it grows up to something that produces fruit that blesses many living things. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about his impending death on the cross. That although the the Jews who were hoping for a Messiah, they were hoping for a Messiah who would improve things. 
not transform things. He was hoping, they were hoping for a Messiah who would improve their lives, not require them to give up their lives in order to have the life that he would give him. And that's why he was rejected by the Jews of his day, so many of them. He didn't fit the model that they wanted because they didn't want to give up their lives. They just wanted their lives to be better. And this kind of thing is pictured all through God's creation. Uh, we are gardeners in my family. I should say my wife is a gardener and I am her help. Uh, but I enjoy helping her and especially enjoy what it produces. Uh, but one of the things that, because we have a small garden and we're not a big operation, uh, my wife uses something called no-till gardening, which uh, really is kind of designed to work off the way uh, God created the, world, the, the earth to work. And so you don't till up the soil and, and those kind of things. You don't even have to weed a whole lot and certainly no herbicides or any of that, that kind of thing. Instead, what you do is you, you take compost and you, you put it on the soil and the, the compost protects the, the plants from weeds and also works into the soil to keep the soil loose and, and uh, filled with nutrients for life. Well, what is compost? Compost is dead stuff. And so from the weeds that we pull around our yard and grass clippings and leaves that fall from our trees and, and uh, the, the, the produce that we eat and that's left over, we throw that all in the compost pile and it literally gets hot and burns down to the most rich soil you can imagine. You put that all over the garden and, and as the rain and water goes through it, it takes nutrients down into the soil for the plants and produces all kinds of abundant life. And so it's just a gospel principle. Among what my wife planted this year was one milkweed plant because she wanted to uh, um, entice monarch butterflies to come and make more monarch butterflies in our garden. And so uh, we had this milkweed plant and it grew up and uh, we went out there one day and there's this nasty, ugly caterpillar eating all the leaves on the milkweed plant. And the first thing we had to do was figure out, okay, is this a monarch caterpillar or is this something we need to kill like my instinct tells me or it's going to eat the plant up? So we looked it up on the internet. Why the internet's wonderful for stuff like that. And we discovered it was a monarch caterpillar. And so that caterpillar really, it, you know, it's, it's, got, a, it's got an appearance that only a mama could love. It, they're just, they're just kind of nasty looking. You know, they're all bumpy, and, and it just looked like if they crawled on your hand, it would just creep you out. And, uh, but what happens with them? Well, they eat that milkweed plant. They, they form a chrysalis. They, they uh, surround themselves with that chrysalis, and then this transformation takes place. And no longer are they that creepy bug. They're this beautiful butterfly now. And so all throughout God's creation, there are pictures of death producing life or life coming through death. And Jesus capitalizes on that to help us to understand that that's what the gospel is all about. That the life that God has for us comes to us through death. And it's most profoundly visible and real in Jesus' crucifixion 
and resurrection. We see it there, right? That Jesus took all the sin and all the guilt on himself and, and uh, God turned aside his judgment from us and poured it out on Jesus in, in, instead so that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus died under the weight of our sin and the condemnation and judgment against our sin. He died under the weight of all of that, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised to life, and, and as Trey said in his prayer this morning, that is proof to us that we will live also, because our debt has been fully paid by Jesus on the cross. There's no more sin to be paid for. The, the condemnation is gone. We have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ because he fully paid the, the death debt for us on the cross. And so that brings us to the next thing I want us to see about this passage. Jesus proclaimed the life through death gospel principle for himself, but he also proclaimed it for us. In verses 25 and 26, look at what he says. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here he's taking that principle of that he needed to die. He needed to be that seed that fell into the ground, died, and produced much fruit. He's taking that principle that he applied to himself first, and now he's applying it to us. And saying, if you want life, you've got to lose it. But if you hold on to it, then you won't gain it. You'll lose it for eternity. That is the gospel principle. So it's not only true that we gain life from Jesus through his death for us, uh, and it becomes, it, it's also true that it becomes ours through dying to the life that we have without him. Right? And isn't that really the rest of our life as following Christ? It's just a matter of daily figuring out where we're still holding on to things that we had without Christ as if they give us life, and recognizing it and saying, okay, you know, the Holy Spirit helps us recognize it, and we have to say, okay, I've just got to let go of this. I've got to die to this. It's not life-giving, it's death-bringing. And I just need to entrust myself to Jesus Christ and hold on to Him and follow Him and listen to Him and obey Him rather than trying to still control my life Myself, that's, that's just the work of sanctification that's a lifelong uh, project in all of us. But some of you might say, well, wait, Pastor Steve, I thought that we gained life in Jesus Christ through faith. Well, yes, we do. The Bible says clearly that. But here's what we need to understand. Dying to life without Christ describes what the practice of faith looks like. Faith every day is that choosing, that decision, those decisions we make to say, I'm not going to control my life, I'm not going to, to uh, own my life, I'm not going to protect myself and try to make life for myself. No, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to trust Jesus and, and just follow him wherever he leads. 
And so he says a couple of in, in, uh, interesting things in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Where was Jesus? Jesus was at a place of dying and trusting in God that he would live afterwards. And he says, if you're going to follow me, that's where you're going to be. And we know in Luke 9, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's that same principle over and over and over again. And so, then he says, if anyone serves me, what do we, how do we serve him? By dying to ourselves. You're not going to stay dead, that's what he says. He doesn't say it exactly, but listen to what he says. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So if you humble yourself before the Lord, what's he going to do? He's going to lift you up. He's not going to leave you humbled. He's not going to leave you dead, just dead to yourself. He's going to give you new life in Christ that is honorable and that will fill you with all the joy that is in his presence and all the pleasures that are at his right hand. That's his plan for us. So, Jesus proclaimed life through, the life through death gospel principle. He also demonstrated it. Now, obviously, he demonstrated it on the cross. Uh, when he died on the cross, uh, in Philippians 2, it says he became obedient to the point of death. So that suggests that it wasn't just on the cross that Jesus demonstrated this principle. And I believe he demonstrated it right there in verse 27. Look at what he says. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What's he saying? I believe a week prior, he's saying the same thing he said a week later in Gethsemane. He's saying, I don't want to do this. My soul is troubled. It's filled with sorrow. Because he knew what he was about to go through. The his disciples scattering and abandoning him, Peter denying him, Judas betraying him, the, the uh, soldiers beating him and smashing a crown of thorns into his head, being nailed to the cross and hung up there to die, feeling the weight of all the sin of the world on himself and, and the condemnation of God toward that sin. All of that he knew was coming and he didn't want to do it. What his humanity was saying is, no, I want to control my life and prevent and protect myself from that. And so, in the ESV and in several translations, it puts that second statement, Father, save me from this hour, as a question. And there, is, there are no question marks in the original language. And so that's an interpretation to put that question mark there. And I, personally, I don't think it belongs there. Because it kind of makes it sound like Jesus is making a, a bold statement here that, that I'm not going to do uh, what my uh, feelings tell me to do. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Well, I believe he did get there, but I don't believe, uh, I believe there was more anguish there than, than it appears if, if the second part is a question. I think it's more like he's saying, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then there's the realization, but 
the truth that trumps how he feels. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And so his conclusion, his answer to his own question, what shall I say? His answer is, this is what I shall say, Father, glorify your name. And in that statement, he died to himself and to what he wanted, what he felt was best for himself. He died to that and just said, Father, whatever you want, glorify your name. That's why I live. And so he demonstrated it to us. He demonstrated it again in Gethsemane. And truthfully, he demonstrated it his whole earthly life because over and over he would say to the people, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And implied in that is, I don't do what I want to do, and I don't say what I want to say. I only say what the Father tells me to say, and I only do what the Father tells me to do. He lived his life dying to himself and trusting in the Father to give him life, which he gained by trust and obedience. And that's why the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus being made perfect through suffering. So, perfect human life is what we saw in Jesus. And what did that look like? He was tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. And why? Because he was perfectly yielded in faith to God the Father, and just always obeyed Him. That's a perfect human life. It's really what God intended for all of us when He created humans in the first place, right? When the first humans were created, they lived every day by dying to their desire to own their own lives and eat from the forbidden tree. And when they finally reached out, having been tempted and deceived, when they finally reached out and grabbed the fruit, why did they? Because they thought it was going to make them equal with God and they wouldn't need Him anymore. They could own their own lives. And when they reached out and grabbed the fruit to hold their lives in their own hands, what happened? They died. Because there is no life apart from God. He is life. So we don't ever have life without Him. We don't ever own life ourselves. We're just given it by Him and we're given it for Him to glorify His name. So, the gospel tells us that Jesus took our sin and our guilt and died to fully pay God's judgment for our sins and reconcile us to God. He set us free to have life which we gain when by faith we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and yield to a life that He controls and leads. Now, I wanted this gospel principle to be seen in all its fullness and clarity because now I want all of you from Cross Point to think about how it applies to where you are right now. 
First of all, I want to be one of the first and one of the loudest to say that you are to be commended for the choice that you've made. You didn't choose what was most comfortable for yourselves. You didn't choose what uh, would bring most glory for yourselves. You didn't choose what would protect your identity. You chose what would glorify God. And you're to be commended for that. You did what the gospel principle is all about. You are doing that now. You are dying to yourselves because of the promise that you trust in that God will bring life from that death. And He will. He is. That's what's ahead for you. This is an end of something that has happened that was good and there's much to celebrate about that and you should celebrate it. There's much to grieve about because uh, something that has been uh, good and blessing from God is, is passing away. And so grieve that, but grieve with hope. We are not a people who grieve with no hope. We are people who process our grief with the hope of God's promise of life always ahead of us. And that's what's ahead for you all. Life. Life is ahead. Much abundant life is set before you. So don't make the mistake that Lot's wife made. It's interesting that in another time when Jesus uh, taught this same principle in Luke 17, 32, and 33, he says this, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Same principle, but he throws in there, remember Lot's wife. Why? What did Lot's wife do? Well, God saved her from the destruction that came upon Sodom because of, of their great sin and, uh, and refusal to repent before God. God saved Lot's family, and as they were leaving, Lot's wife looked back longingly on what she was leaving behind rather than gladly dying to it so she could have the life that God was giving her. And so, that's the way we need to approach everything as we follow Jesus. Is that whatever we have to leave behind, we just leave behind gladly because we know that always ahead of us as we follow Jesus is abundant life. And so whatever we leave behind and, and however that might feel for us, that's just temporary. Because what's ahead is eternal, abundant life in Christ. And Jesus is always uh, leading us ever toward that eternal, abundant life. And that's what's ahead for you all. That's what's ahead for Crosspoint, Connection, whatever you call it. I mean, when we get to heaven, what's the church going to be called? It's not going to be called Grace Baptist Church. It's not going to be called Crosspoint Church. It's not going to be called Connection Church. Which church is going to get to use their name in heaven? None of them. We will be called the Bride of Christ. We will be called the Children of God. 
We will be family, all of us, from every local congregation. So a name is just something we use so that as we communicate with people who don't know Jesus, we know how to tell them where to find us and how to be a part of us. But it has no meaning apart from that. Jesus Christ, His name has all kinds of meaning and that's who we need to be leading people and ourselves to anyway, right? So don't make the mistake of longing for what you had in the uh, past. Don't be like the rich young ruler who went away sad because Jesus called him forward and, and he didn't want to give up what he already had and you guys have already chosen not to do that. So go forward, not sad, but go forward in joy. Remember the blessings the, uh, and, and the fruit that God bore among you when you were called Cross Point Baptist Church, and now go forward as you follow Jesus into all the abundant life he has for you in the days to come. That's why you're here. There is joy set before you. And just like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, it's for the joy that's set before us that we let go of everything that we might hold on to as Christ leads us forward. You are the children of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ in all that is God's for all eternity. You have no reason to stay sad. You have every reason to rejoice and be filled with an eternal joy. Because Jesus is Lord. And nothing will ever change that. And Jesus has bought for us and promised to us eternal life. And nothing can take that away. And ahead of us is always abundant life. So go for it. Follow Jesus into all that he has ahead of you. And it will all bring great honor and glory to his name. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much that we don't have to make life for ourselves. We would fall so far short. So far short that it wouldn't even be in the right arena. But Lord, you have met us in the midst of our sin. You have loved us in the midst of our sin. And you have died for us in the midst of our sin. And in your dying, you have paid the price of condemnation for our sin. And in exchange, you have given us your righteousness and your life. Lord, I pray for these precious people, those who have been so faithful to you uh, for many years and in many ways. I thank you for the, the great history of your 
blessings and the fruit that you've borne through Crosspoint Baptist Church. And Lord, I thank you even more for what you're going to bear and, and the glory you're going to bring to yourself through them as they move into the future that you are giving them. Lord, fill them with your spirit, fill them with your hope, fill them with your joy and peace. And Lord, I thank you for all that they will contribute to the new body they're joining, Connection Church. How they will complete things that have been lacking in connection. We'll make that body stronger. We'll make uh, a, a greater lighthouse here in Sioux Falls. And Lord, I pray that going forward that, that they would win this city for Christ. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.